Well, good morning. Good morning. Merry Christmas. I'm Pastor Jay. Kids, hey, good morning. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, young people. Merry Christmas, all the rest of us. Glad that you are here this morning. We are going to talk to this morning for a few minutes about something that's true, more true than anything in the Marvel Universe. No, that's heresy. More th- real than anything in Middle Earth. More real than anything in Star Wars. Those things are all fun, but they're all fake, and they're all fantasy. We're going to talk about something very real this morning. It is so real that you're buying into it or not will determine whether you go to heaven or hell. And so this is extremely important. I'm going to ask you if you have a Bible, you would open it to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. I hope you have some kind of Bible in front of you, either paper or on a tablet or your phone. It's very important that we look at what the text says. We are a church that pays great attention to the best of our ability to what the Bible says, what the text says. A lot of churches don't, a lot of churches do. We count ourselves in one of the churches that tries to pay close attention, what has God said? Not what do we think, not what are the latest political hot issues of the day or social issues, but what does God's word have to say? Politically incorrect or not? And so this morning we turn to a very interesting passage about the birth of Jesus. You know, every so often, as you look back through history in the church, or secular history, you see lots of debates about important issues. As you look back through church history, there's been a number of very important debates. There was a massive debate around early, in the early centuries, whether Jesus was God or something less than God. In the fourth century, there was a huge shootout over the issue of God's sovereignty and human responsibility, two key players there, St. Augustine and Plagius, the British monk. In the 1500s, there was an enormous debate about how we were justified before God between a guy named Martin Luther and the Roman Catholic Church and a number of others. And in the 1800s, there's been a debate that's actually still raging today about the authority of the Bible. How true is it? How accurate is it? Is it a legend? Is it myth? Or is it something more? Is it truly inspired by God? Another one of the debates that has been most critical in the last 100 years is this debate we're going to look at this morning. Was Jesus really born, I mean literally born biologically from a virgin? It is a very important debate and it's a very critical debate. Many have expressed doubt about this, including a lot of liberal biblical scholars, liberal clergy, liberal bishops. I was reading two different bishops this week. One, very popular Anglican bishop in England, David Jenkins, and he was one of the very first senior Anglican bishops to express complete skepticism about the virgin birth a few years ago. He said, quote, I wouldn't put it past God to arrange a virgin birth if he wanted, but I don't think he did, close quote. I was reading another liberal bishop this week, very prominent, and he argues Jesus was not born of a virgin and that Mary at best was a woman unmarried who had an illegitimate child, possibly by a Roman soldier. And on and on the theories go. And so the question before us this morning is, are we gonna take God's word at face value? It was the great Princeton theologian, B.B. Warfield, 
in the early 1900s who argued that if we don't take this seriously, we are undermining the gospel. We are undermining who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so our thesis this morning is this, that the virgin birth of Jesus is absolutely indispensable for the gospel story and for the Bible and for Christianity. And so with that, we're going to look at just two things. One, first of all, what's the message of the virgin birth? I know some of us here know Jesus. Some of us here are clearly saved and on our way to heaven. I know some of us here don't know Jesus and we're confused or we're still looking or we're still searching for truth. And so let us make sure we're all on the same page at least that we understand what it is the virgin birth is and what it's not. Let's make sure we know exactly what the Bible is saying. So I'm gonna pick up the story in verse 26. And this is the announcement, as Pastor Doug read, of the virgin birth, according to Luke. In the sixth month that the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Angels are not very often named, by the way. Occasionally they are. Gabriel or Michael. Most of the angels are not named in the Bible. Lucifer is another angel, evil angel. To a virgin, so Gabriel came to a virgin, verse 27, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled. I think that's probably an understatement. If an angel appeared to any of us today announcing anything, I think we'd be a little troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age will also conceive a son, and this is the sixth month with her who will be called barren. And so that's going to take place in her sixth month. She also barren, not a virgin, but barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So verse 27, if you look at that for a minute, it tells us Mary was a young virgin in a very nowhere village. Nazareth was nothing. It was a very small village, grinding poverty, barely even on the map of world history. And this is a young girl the betrothal phase took place usually soon after puberty. Mary was very likely a young teenager. New Testament scholar Raymond uh, Brown, who's probably written one of the largest works on the birth of Christ, estimates, according to everything we know about the first century, Mary was probably somewhere between 12 and 14 years old. And needless to say, this was a bit of a shocking message coming from an angel. It's one huge surprise. Mary was going to become pregnant, the angel told her, without having any sexual relations with a man. 
she's going to be a virgin, give birth to a baby. Obviously, that doesn't generally happen in world history. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew actually says, quoting the prophet Isaiah, that virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. So Matthew picks this up from the Old Testament and says this was actually predicted 700 years before Jesus ever arrived on planet Earth. That is what the virgin birth is in a nutshell. Gabriel announcing to a young girl, a young girl, a nobody in our eyes, in the world's eyes, in the middle of nowhere in a nowhere village, very young girl, that the Holy Spirit would come on her and she would become pregnant and bear the Messiah. Incredible story. If it's true, again, we have to make that call. Is this in the realm of the Marvel Universe or Star Wars, or is this really true? As Francis Schaeffer said, is this true truth with a capital T? Did this really happen? And if it really happened, and I believe it did, and I believe the evidence is overwhelming that it did, it has massive significance if we believe it or not and surrender to it or not, because the child she bore eventually said these words, I am the way and the truth and the life no one can come to the Father except through me. Very exclusive claim. So, with that, a couple lessons from the virgin birth before we finish up this morning. And I want to draw three lessons from the virgin birth. See, with me? Young kids, you with me? Kids? This is so important. Three lessons from the virgin birth. Number one, Jesus is the unique Son of God. Verse 35. Look at verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit is the one who will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. So this points to Jesus' uniqueness, his supernatural character that set him apart from the human race. It's interesting, in the early history of the church, there were at least seven major councils. Most of them took place in Turkey. Turkey was a powerhouse of the early church. Today, Turkey is almost entirely Islamic. In the first few centuries, it was almost entirely Christian. Not only that, it was the leading area of Christianity in the early centuries. And these major councils that sorted out and debated exactly the identity of Jesus, who was he, who was he not, took place in Turkey. And the conclusion was, he is the unique, only begotten Son of God, God from God. Second lesson coming from the virgin birth. I love this one because this one has such relevance for all of us, and that is this. Nothing is impossible with God. And that includes anything in our lives that we would deem impossible right this minute. Nothing is impossible with God. Verses 36 and 37. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her in whom was called barren. So this is going to also take place simultaneously in this sixth month. Even though she's barren and in her old age, she, a little bit like Sarah in the Old Testament, is going to have a son. And then you come to verse 37. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, kids, 37, verse 37 announces something that the Bible tells us over and over and over and over. And it is this. Nothing, absolutely nothing, is impossible with God. Here's what I know of a congregation this size this morning. 
including myself, all of us. Every single person here right this minute is desperate to know that nothing is impossible with God when it comes to an area in our life right now that's weighing us down. We are desperate to see the power of God in some area of our life right now. And the question is, do we believe what God has said? Maybe your marriage seems beyond hope and you are just, you're here on Christmas morning and your heart is extremely heavy because your marriage is just falling apart and you have no hope in it. Verse 37 is for you. Nothing is impossible with God. Maybe you have a wayward son, a wayward daughter, or wayward children. Seem beyond reach. Nothing is impossible with God. Maybe your financial situation just seems bleak. Maybe it took a turn for the worse this year. Probably for all of us. Look at our 401ks. Not a good time to do that. Nothing is impossible with God. Maybe, this is a very common one, maybe you feel you've sinned beyond God's forgiveness, beyond God's mercy, beyond God's grace. Nothing is impossible with God. Or maybe you've become enslaved to some destructive addiction, pornography, sexual addiction, destructive substances, alcohol, anger, bitterness, you name it, the things that enslave us, God can liberate you. Nothing is impossible with God, verse 37, especially to those who hope in the Savior and know Christ and who the Holy Spirit is alive in. Third lesson, final lesson coming from this. I think this is my favorite. Mary believed God's word. And we're gonna see here a contrast with Zechariah because he didn't. Elizabeth's husband, and we're told in the story that believing what God has said is a big deal. It's a huge deal. So let me look, look with me, verse 38. Let me take you to verse 38. Even though Mary received very unexpected news, we're told this young teenage girl immediately believed this incredibly, from her perspective, impossible news that she would become pregnant as a virgin. Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She believed, I mean, God said it. Mary believed it, and the angel departed. What's interesting is that Elizabeth's husband, who was also an older age, had the exact opposite reaction. If you go back to verse 11 in Luke, Luke 11, chapter 1, verse 11, this angel Gabriel also appeared to this couple. So angel, Gabriel's a busy dude this week. There appeared an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell on him. You know, when some people hear the word of God, they're afraid. You know why? Because God is at work in them. Some people hear the word of God, and they're bored. You know why? God isn't at work in them. So I ask you this morning, even as you hear God's word preached, does it tremble in you? God says, this is the person I esteem in the book of Isaiah, the one who trembles at my word. Does, do you tremble this morning? Are you trembling at the word of God? Or are you sitting there going, I wish you would be quiet, I wanna go home. And some of you are, I know that. Been a pastor for a few years. So verse 11, 
There appeared to the angel standing on the, uh, the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Fear fell on him. The angel said to him, do not be afraid for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Now if you go over to verse 18, we're gonna see Zechariah's response. We already know Mary's response. What's Zechariah's response? Zechariah said to the angel, that's great. I like to believe in possible stuff. This is really cool. That what it says? No. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man. He's trying to give Gabriel a lesson in biology here. I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Haven't you noticed? And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. Notice the next word, please. Because. Because. Because why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, kids, it's a big deal if we believe what God says when he speaks. Zechariah was disciplined for not believing what God said. Mary was blessed because she did believe what God said. And the real story of Mary's ability to surrender is now in verses 46 to 55. We call this the Magnificat in English from the Latin Vulgate that actually comes for the first verse. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. In the Latin Vulgate, Magnificat, that's what we call it today, Mary's song. I'm just gonna read just a couple verses and I wanna make an observation about this. Mary said, so that we know Mary has responded positively, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Well, that certainly is true in church history. For he who is almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy, hear this, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you fear God? Do you fear God in the right way? God doesn't want us to be afraid of him in the sense that he is some kind of a capricious deity zapping people indiscriminately, but there is something called the fear of the Lord that we're to have. It's a holy reverence that when he speaks, we tremble and we listen and we believe what he has said. Look at verse 47, because look at Mary's view of God here. Mary rejoices in God. Verse 49 and 50, she rejoices in his power and mercy. Verse 52 to 55, Mary expresses faith in a God who is sovereign over history. Look at verse 52, this is interesting. One who brings rulers down. In other words, she saw that she understood that God is sovereign over kings, over nations, over world leaders. Here's this young teenager, she already understands who God is. And this is all the more powerful, by the way, because this easily could have been seen as criticism against King Herod, and yet she announces it anyways. What's the bottom line this morning? Here it is. The story of the virgin birth really isn't so much a story about Mary. It is a story 
about Mary's God. And that is pretty much true for any biblical character, our view of God. Mary's surrender to God is no surprise when we understand Mary's view of God. And Mary's view of God in the Magnificat here is absolutely incredible. Some of you know the name A.W. Tozer, Aidan Wilson Tozer, who preached in Chicago for over 30 years, great prophet of the living God. In his little book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he opens it in the first sentence with a very famous quote we're saying this morning on Christmas. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So I ask you this morning, what comes to your mind when you think about God? And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says the great danger in life is chasing after false gods, chasing after false idols, false views of Jesus, false religions, and false saviors, which will end up destroying our lives and sending us to hell. The Bible reveals the one true and living God in his gospel and how to be forgiven for our sins through faith in his son, find joy, and gain eternal life. So it leads to this question as we close. Have you been awakened to the love of a savior who came to die for shame-filled moral failures like us? I'm gonna close with this verse, Matthew. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. Jesus extends this invitation to sinners. Hear this. Come unto me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. The rest there is two things. Peace with God, that's forgiveness, that's vertical, and then that's the peace of God, that's horizontal. Now you may ask, well how do I come to Jesus? I mean, I'm not sure, tell me. And the answer is, we must come to him on his terms. And Jesus announces his terms in Mark chapter one when it says Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God and he said repent, that means hate my sin and confess I'm a sinner to God. And he said and believe the good news. And the good news is that Jesus came, fulfilled the law and then died an atoning death. And that anybody who believes in him will be rescued from the coming judgment and the coming wrath and will be saved and we'll have joy in this life, and we'll be on the new heaven and the new earth for all eternity with their God in the next life. That, ladies and gentlemen, that young people, that kids, is the gospel. That's what Christmas is about, and I submit to you, that's true truth, and that's truth we need to believe for our eternal sake. Father, we thank you for the word of God this morning. And we thank you it's true. We thank you it's not in the myth category. It's not in the fantasy category. Like so much, even stories we love, epic myths we love and fantasy stories we love, and, but they're not real. We thank you that this story is true, anchored in history, and that our response will determine the course of our lives on this planet and our eternal destiny. And I pray here this morning for those who don't know Christ, who aren't sure where they're at with the Son of God, that you might open blinded eyes today and bring them into a relationship with the living Christ. I thank you, Father, for how many here who do know Jesus this morning. And may the churches in our area preaching the gospel today 
may they hold Christ high and may you pour out your greatest blessing on them in the new year. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.